I'm thankful that He washes our sin white as snow. And I'm thankful for you, um, just as, as a church family. I'm just so so happy and grateful to be your pastor. Um, there's just nowhere else I'd rather be. Um, so Calvin and I are my almost two-year-old now. We love to play this game, hide-and-seek. Now, our version is a little different. Um, his, our version that we like to play is Dad Hides and Calvin Seeks. And he kind of hasn't quite figured out the part where you close your eyes and you count and you wait a minute. Um, so as soon as I start going, he starts laughing and chasing me. Um, so I've got to run really fast if I'm going to try and hide because um, he's really right on my heels. So it's very hard to hide from him. The other thing that's hard makes it hard to hide from him is I'm kind of much bigger than he is, right? So there's not that many places I can hide in the house. So I've got four hiding spots that I've found as a course of the weeks of playing this game, um, but he knows them because so, they're the only places I can hide. And he, every time he finds me, he just shouts, again, again, okay, son, I'll go hide in the other spot now, and he'll run and chase me over there. So we just kind of repeat and play it until Dad gets tired of running around and hiding in the same three spots. Um, but he loves to play this game, and I'm sure he, he always probably will for, for at least a while and a long time. Hopefully he'll get better so then I can spend more time hiding, find some more places. Um, but there, there's this thing, I think, something to core at the key of humanity that we do, we love to hide, um, we enjoy it, but there's also this idea of we think, and humanity has always believed since the very beginning of the garden, that we can hide. We think we have the ability to hide, and especially we think we have the ability to hide our sin. We think we can keep our sin from God, we think we can keep our sin from others, and we think that God is not hot on our heels chasing behind us. Well, we're going to do this week as we continue our series in the book of Joshua. We're going to look at Joshua chapter 7 and chapter 8, and we are going to see why that isn't the case, why there really is no hiding place for our sin. Um, Now, again, we're going to go through all of chapter 7 and 8. I won't have you um, stand as we read it because it's a long section, and I think the willingness to sit and listen to God's Word and hear two chapters read back to back Shows enough respect for God's Word and your willingness to do that. Um, so if you would, just turn with your Bibles with me. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 7. It says, But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, and the tribe of Judah took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up, and they spied out I. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack I. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men went up there from the people, and they fled before the men of I. And the men of I killed about thirty-six of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shabarim, and struck at them at the descent, and the hearts of the people melted and became as water." Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all, to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and will cut off your name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? And the Lord said to Joshua, Get up, why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant, 
and that I have commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things, they have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their back before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people, and say, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow thus says the Lord God of Israel. There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans. And the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted thing shall be burned with fire, and he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he was brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerahites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and give praise to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing fifty shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord, and Joshua and all the Israel took Achan and the son of Zerah, and the, son, the whole silver and the cloak and the bar of gold, and his sons and daughters, and his oxen and donkeys, and sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire, and they stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. And then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise and go to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people and the city and his land, and you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. So Joshua and the fighting men arose to go to Ai, and Joshua chose 30,000 fighting men of valor and sent them out by night. And he commanded them, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you remain ready. I and all the people who are with me will approach the city, and when they come out against us, just as before, we shall flee before them, and they will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city. For they will say they are fleeing before us just as before, and we will flee before them. Then you shall arise from the ambush and seize the city, for the Lord your God will give it into your hand. And as soon as you have taken the city, you shall set the city on fire, and you shall do according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. So Joshua sent them out, and they went to the place of ambush and lay between Bethel and Ai and the west of Ai, but Joshua spent that night among the people. Joshua rose early in the morning and mustered the people and went. And he and the elders of Israel before the people of Ai and all the fighting men who were with him went up and drew near before the city and encamped on the north side of Ai with a ravine between them and Ai. And about 5,000 men, he sent them in ambush between Bethel and Ai, the west of the city. 
So they stationed the forces, the main encampment that was the north of the city, and its rear guard west of the city. But Joshua spent that night in the valley. And as soon as the king of Ai saw this, he and all his people and the men of the city hurried, and they went out early to the appointed place towards Arabah to meet Israel in battle. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all of Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled in the direction of the wilderness. So all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them, and they pursued Joshua. They were drawn away from the city. Not a man was left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. And they left the city open and pursued Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the javelin that's in your hand towards Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand towards the city, and the men in the ambush rose quickly out of their place. And as soon as he had stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it. And they hurried to set the city on fire. So when the men of Ai looked back, behold, the smoke of the city went up to heaven, and they had no power to flee this way or that, for the people who fled into the wilderness turned back against the pursuers. And when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had captured the city, and the smoke of the city went up, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. And the others came from the city against them, and so were in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that. And Israel struck them down until there was none left that survived or escaped. But the king of Ai, was to, they took alive and brought him near to Joshua. And when Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the open wilderness where they pursued them, and all of them at the very last had fallen by the edge of the sword, all Israel returned to Ai and struck it down with the edge of the sword. And all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. But Joshua did not draw back his hand, with which he stretched out the javelin until he devoted all the inhabitants of Ai to destruction. Over the livestock and the spoil of that city, Israel took as their plunder, according to the word of the Lord he commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it forever a heap of ruins as to this day, and he hanged the king of Ai on a tree until sunset. Joshua commanded, and they took down his body at the tree and threw it at the entrance of the gate of the city and raised it over a great heap of stones, which stands there to this day. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal. Just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of no uncut stones, from which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which they had written. And all Israel's sojourner as well as native mourn with their elders and officers and their judges stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. And afterwards he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. The grass withers and the flower fades, but God's word stands forever. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. Um, I thank you for that you give us the chance to worship um, you together freely in this place. I ask that you would be, continue to be present here, God. I ask that you would give me your words, not my own. Um, I, I ask that anything that just comes from me would go in one ear and out the other. I ask that you would soften our hearts, that you would open our ears, that you would help us hear from you this morning. That this would not just be old stories from thousands of years ago, God, but that we would hear your voice, that you would tell us how we are to live. And we pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. 
All right, so there's a lot um, to unpack in these passages. I'm not going to be able to unpack every single thing. Um, to do that really with any chapter of the Bible would take weeks upon weeks. Um, but your first point here um, is that sin is more serious than we realize, or is worse than we realize. That sin is worse than we realize. And this is a problem that even as believers, okay, even if you have walked with Jesus for your entire life, even as you have followed Jesus for decades, we can often forget how bad sin is. We can forget the seriousness of sin. We can forget the penalty of sin. We can forget that sin really is a very, very big deal. And so there's a, I'm going to break this down. I've got four kind of subpoints for you. So I went a little crazy with my outline this week. Um, but so the first kind of subpoint under this to, to illustrate and how sin is much worse than we realize is that sin is adultery. So sin is adultery. This is right in chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, but the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. That word broke faith, is, it's often used throughout the Old Testament. And in other places, it's used to say adultery, where Israel committed adultery against God. And in 7.11, it says, let me find, Israel has sinned, for they have transgressed my covenant. Israel has broken the faith. They have violated the covenant that they made, that God and Israel made vows to each other. They made promises to each other that Israel would obey God, and therefore God would bless them as long as they obeyed Him. But what Israel has done is they have violated it. And that's why it's often called adultery. That's really what our sin is. And I love this description in verse 1, how it's, it's a breaking of the faith. That sounds really bad. Okay, it doesn't say Israel, the people of Israel just kind of made a mistake. People of Israel slipped up. People of Israel maybe did something they shouldn't have done. They, they just lost control for a moment. Now, why doesn't God use that language? Because sin is serious. Sin is not just a mistake. It's not just something we did wrong once. Sin is rebellion against the God of the cosmos. That our sin is serious. And our sin and the sin of Israel is far worse than they realize. When we look at this and be like, well, just, I mean, one dude took some stuff and put it in his tent he shouldn't have. I mean, really? Really, God? That's what we're going to call it? But this is what God calls sin. And so that's one of the first things we need to see is we need to realize the seriousness of sin in this passage. The second thing we need to see is that sin always affects other people. Sin always affects other people. This is one of the lies that sin tells us. We think that, well, who really is going to get hurt? I mean, no one else is going to get hurt. No one else is going to know. This isn't really going to affect anything. This is just me making a decision. That's what Achan thought, right? As you look at this passage, okay, they, all of Israel in verse 1, it says, the people of Israel broke faith. As you go on, we, we would question, especially in America and in our individualism, we would say, whoa, 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 what are you doing, God? It's just one dude. Okay, just one guy, just Achan. He's the one who did this, right? A, a parent, if they came in the room and they're punishing all their kids, what did the kids say? Whoa, 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 this isn't fair. I didn't do it. They're, we point fingers and blame, right? We never want to be punished for anything we didn't do, right? But this is... What happens here is Achan's sin does not affect just Achan. Achan's sin affects Achan's family. Achan's sin affects his tribe. Achan's sin affects the entire nation of Israel. His entire country is affected by his choice. And why would God do this? This seems weird. This seems different. This seems extreme. 
But part of this, I think this is one of the key points of this passage, is God is trying to tell us your sin does not just affect you. That your sin is not just a mistake between you and God. It's not just maybe something you shouldn't have done, and but it's okay now, we'll, we'll just get over it and move on. Our sin affects the people around us. Our sin affects our families. Our sin affects our relationships. Our sin affects our community. Our sin affects our church. Our sin affects our country. Our, our sin, sin does not just stay by itself. Okay, so this is one of the problems when we can just think of sin as something we do instead of sin also as sin is a power. Sin is like cancer. How cancer just starts to turn all the cells in the body into more cancer. This is what sin does, is it just expands and it grows and it's not content to just stay in one place. And Achan probably thought that, man, no one's going to get hurt if I just take this cloak and this silver and this gold. If I just take this, no one else is going to be affected by this. But so many people are affected by his sin. We have in the battle in the beginning, okay, they don't even think this is going to be a hard battle, right? That's why they don't send many people in. They just send 2,000, 3,000. And then 36 people are dead. Those men are dead, not because it was a bad battle plan. They are dead because of the sin of Achan. This is often, as you read this passage, I've heard this passage taught, and people unpack this passage as well. You know, the problem is that Israel just didn't send everybody. If Israel just would have sent everybody, then this would have been fine. No, the passage sets it up pretty clear in verse 1. The reason this happens, and God says the reason it happens, is because there are devoted things in their midst. There is sin in the camp. Somebody is trying to hide sin, and God will not stand that. So it's not just these 36 people that die in verse 5 because of Achan. Achan's whole family is destroyed with him. In verse 24, it describes all that die. Achan, the son of Zerah, and his silver, his stuff that he thinks he needs, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, and his tent, and all that he has. They're stoned with stones. Then they're burned with fire, and then they are stoned again. This is the seriousness of sin. And sin does not just affect us. Achan's sin has consequences, not just for him, but for his family, and not just for his family, but his nation. Sin never just affects us. Our, our sin disrupts the people around us. And some sins are way more obvious than this happens versus than others, Right? Okay, we can see how some of our sins, so you had children, I'm slowly learning this. Calvin is repeating almost everything I say now. Okay, now I'm realizing, oh, this is dangerous. I need to be careful in what I'm saying because he's starting to repeat some things and I, didn't, I don't really want him to know about that yet, right? Okay, so th- th- this can happen. But as we get older, then we can start to see oh, our kids start to turn out more like us. Okay, if we have deep sin problems, and we can see it with, with extreme examples. You can think of an anger problem, a really big anger problem, where you're exploding in anger and yelling at your kids. Or you can think of addiction. You can think of the way that alcohol and drug addiction can just, it doesn't just destroy one person, but it can destroy and affect children and destroy and affect families. Okay, we can see it like that. Well, how do you think families and children then who grow up with that, how, do you think that sin doesn't affect them or their children as well? This is why the Bible talks about how sin, it affects the third and the fourth generation because our sin is serious. Our sin never just affects us. But it's easy for us to look at that, right? It's easier for us to go and to look at an addict or to look at somebody with a serious sin problem and think, well, obviously that sin is really bad, but my sin, you know, I'm just, you know, I lose my temper every now and then. 
well, I'm just kind of selfish, but I'm, I'm not too bad. We can downplay our sin and not realize that all of our sin affects the people around us. And I have to keep moving so I don't, don't run out of time here, um, but there's a lot more to, to unpack um, there. But, uh, the number three or sub-point is that sin lies to us. Sin lies to us. Sin is always lying to us. And that's one of the lies that tells us nobody's, it, this isn't going to hurt anybody. No one's going to be affected by this. Sin lied to Achan. He probably thought that he was the exception. Right? He, no one else took anything, but Achan thought that he could. Now, we don't know. We can only guess or imagine, um, but we can, we can all imagine the temptation. Okay? As you're sitting there and there's a really nice cloak. Okay? It was probably nicer than Achan's cloak. Right? So he's looking at this thinking, man, that's nicer than any clothes I have. Oh, this is a lot of money. This would really be a shame. I mean, if I could just take this money, this could really make some things happen for me. Right? I'm going to pay off my debts. I could get a bigger tent, buy some more donkeys, get some more oxen. I could set my kids up. Like, I, I really need this. This could be good. Well, no, no one's going to know about this. Well, you know, I mean, I know God said we were supposed to destroy it, but like everybody else is doing it. So like there's a lot. I think God has enough. I think I can just keep this one cloak. That's okay, right? Sin lies to us. Achan thought that he was the exception, that he could violate God's law and that it would be okay. And sin, what it does, it is it so often makes us question God's word. At the very beginning of the garden, what's one of the first things the serpent says to Eve? Well, did God really say that? Did he really say you didn't have to eat from this tree? Well, Achan, did God really say that you have to destroy everything? Are you sure you can't just keep a little bit for yourself? Sin tells us the same, like, well, I know God said that we're supposed to love our enemies, but, you know, your enemy is really bad, so God understands. You can give them a pass. Sin lies to us. It tells us that we are the exception. It tells us we don't really have to listen to God's word. To say, well, just look at the context. That's for them. That's not for me. I don't really have to obey that part of Scripture anymore. Just, and not because we're actually doing Bible study, but just because we don't really like it. So I'm just looking for any excuse that I can do what I want. But sin will also lie to us, and sin will make us believe that it can give us what we need. Sin will make you believe that it can give you what you need. Achan probably thought that if he took this, well, he took it, right? Because he says he coveted it when he finally confesses. He admitted that, you know, I, I saw it, and I coveted them in 21, and I took them. I wanted it. I needed it. I, I thought this would give me something. That's what sin does to us. We don't sin, right? We sin because it feels pretty good in the moment. We sin because we want things. We sin because when we do it, it's gonna, we feel like it's going to give us what we want. We feel like it's going to release something. We feel like the promises of sin are going to fulfill us in some small or bigger way. But sin is a liar. Sin is a liar. And sin also tells us that we can hide. Sin makes us believe that no one will ever find out. Oh, nobody's going to know. It's just you in the dark and no one's around. No one will ever find out unless you tell them, but you know, we can keep this secret. Maybe God will know, but let's just not worry about that anyway. I don't think He's really watching. He's got bigger things to worry about right now than you and what you're doing today. Sin makes us believe that we will never be found out, that we really can hide from God. Achan thought he could hide. Achan thought that burying this inside of his tent could keep it from the eyes of God. 
And we may laugh at that and think that's foolish, but so often we think that we can hide in our, in our homes or in, in the dark and that God won't see our sin for what it is. And like Psalms 139 we read this morning, there's no place we can hide from God. There is no hiding place, not, not in the depths of Sheol or in the heights of heaven. God sees everything. He sees our sin. He sees you the moment before you're going, when you're being tempted. He sees you when you're about to make the decision. He sees you after you've sinned. He sees it all. You can't hide it from Him. You can't hide it at all, any more than Calvin thinks he can hide from me sometimes. Okay, He's not that good at it. We are not that good at hiding our sin. And even if you are, you still cannot hide it from God. Lastly, sin leads to death. Death surrounds this chapter, both of these chapters. There is lots and lots of death. All of the death is because of sin. Israel, people in Israel die because of sin, because of Achan's sin. Achan dies, and his family dies, and his cattle die because of his sin. I and the people of I, they die. Again, we talked about this more last week when we were talking about Jericho. They are dying because of their sin, because of their idolatry because of the way that they have sinned. They didn't violate the covenant of the law of Moses, but they have not worshipped God and they have not treated their neighbors the way that they should. Sin always leads to death. Sin will promise us a lot, but it cannot keep its promises. It, it may give us something in the moment. It, it may make you feel good for a few days even, but it will always run out. Sin, in the end, leads to death. You can think of um, stories you hear where somebody makes a deal with the devil, right? And you know, well, that's, that's a bad idea, right? Well, even SNL skits is one of my favorites. It's a really silly one with Will Ferrell. Or a guy wants to be a rock star, so he makes a deal with the devil so he can have a hit song finally. And they humorously do it, but you always kind of know, well, if you're making a deal with the devil, this is not going to end good, okay? You might get something... Now, but in the end, you're, you're going to die. Now you just sold your soul to the devil. That's, that's pretty bad. Objectively, we can all know you probably shouldn't make deals with the devil. But all the time we make deals with sin. All the time we make deals with sin. We think that if we just do this, it's going to be okay, that sin won't actually lead to death. But the consequences and the wage of sin is death. That's where it always leads, apart from the grace of God. Uh, another thing to, to briefly point out um, here with, with Aiken, I don't have time to totally dive into it. Um, I talked about this a little bit on those kind of daily devotions I put up on, on the Facebook page, but Aiken is actually a foil to Rahab in this chapter, um, where Aiken and Rahab are held up kind of as opposites, where they have lots of differences, but their differences are very similar, right? Where Aiken is an Israelite man, okay, and Rahab is, is a Canaanite woman. And Achan is held up here as an example of sinfulness, and Rahab is held up as an example of faithfulness. Rahab hides the spies as a response of submission to just hearing about God's Word. Achan hides things in violation of God's Word. Rahab and her whole family are saved because of her faithfulness. Achan and his whole family are murdered or killed because of his sinfulness. So there's a lot of, there's a way that they are kind of set up here um, to be 
as foils is really, it's a literary term, so I can't think of a better word. They're not exactly parallels because there's a lot of differences, but their differences are key. And Achan here, where Rahab showed us the greatness of faith, Achan shows us the seriousness and the depths of our sin. But that's point number one. So point number two is grace is better than we can imagine. Grace is better than we can imagine. Even in, the, in this heavy passage, it is filled with God's grace. And, and grace, your first um, kind of sub-point is that grace gives us chance after chance after chance. And chance after chance after chance to repent. Achan has so many chances to come clean. He has so many chances to stop hiding, to come out and to admit what's going on. Right, Because you, you look, so right after the first time they lost, that was chance number one. Because that's an indication. In God's Word, it tells them if you lose a battle, you should know it's because of sin and you all need to repent and come clean. So as soon as they lost, Achan should have known, ah, this is my fault. I did it. But he doesn't repent. He hides. And then you go, right, and 14 and kind of all throughout 20, it gives this long description, right, of how God is going to reveal who the sinner is. And you first read, you go, that, that's kind of weird. Why is God doing it that way? Like, God knows who it is, right? Why doesn't God just tell Joshua, hey, Joshua, it's Achan. He's the one who hid stuff. But he goes, no, just have all the tribes march by, and then I'm going to pick a tribe. So all the tribes are marching by. Okay, that's another chance of Achan to admit, hey, it's me. But he thinks, well, maybe they won't find my tribe. Ah, oh, they got my tribe. Okay, well, maybe they still won't find me. And then all the clans in the tribe, and that's more and more chances for Achan to reveal himself. And then the households come by, and then his house gets picked, and then he still thinks, ah, maybe I can hide a little bit more, maybe they're not going to find me, until the last moment when it's too late. Now when he's been revealed, and now Joshua still has to tell him, okay, Achan, we know it's you, or are you going to come clean now and tell us what it is? And grace, God gives us chance after chance after chance after chance to come clean and to repent. What Achan says isn't actually repentance. He says some of the right words, but he only says it when he's caught. And he only says it when it's coaxed out of him. And he doesn't really bring even out the, the whole truth of it. He's not actually trying to repent because he wants to get right with God. He's just going through the motions. And I have to wonder what would happen because there's so many examples in Scripture of when people confess before they get, before they get to that point and God removes his judgment and removes his wrath, even in the Old Testament. And what we see here also in chapter 8 is that God gives Israel a second chance. Israel gets a second chance to take out the city. That, that, and, and they do, and they do why? Because of grace. Not just because Achan's gone, but because God is giving them grace. And I'm thankful that God doesn't throw away Israel and that God doesn't throw away us after we mess up. That after we, we really blow it, even nationally blow it, and make all these mistakes, that God just doesn't go, well, too bad, I'll try again with somebody else. That God gives even the people of Israel another chance. Grace gives us chance after chance after chance to repent. And I'm thankful those chances, as long as there is breath in our lungs, there are still chances for those who don't know Jesus to repent of their sins. And for us, even who are believers, every time there's breath in our lungs, there's still more and more chances for us to admit the new sins that we have accumulated and how much we need God's grace. And His grace is still there over and over and over again. It will never stop being there. Uh, the Subpoint number two is that grace brings God's blessing. Is that grace brings God's blessing. And, and we see this. It, it, it's, 
it's sad to see Achan's sin causes him to miss out on what God would give him. If you look at at chapter 2, right away in verse 2, you see something different than with Jericho. He says, okay, so you're going to do to I and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, only it's spoiling its livestock. You get to take its plunder as yourselves. So this time, God is actually going to let them get some of the spoils of the city. He's actually going to give them some blessings that they don't deserve that are His because they're God's. They're God's to determine where they go. And God gives them. Achan actually may have gotten what he took if he just had patience, if he just trusted God, if he didn't try and violate God's Word, if he would have submitted to His grace and obedience. And God actually gives the people the rewards that Achan sinned to get. Not exactly, but He gives them the plunder, which is what Achan wanted. And we see here in grace is that God doesn't just give us forgiveness. God doesn't just give us salvation, though He does, and it's one of the most wonderful things about His grace. But God gives us even more. It would be enough, wouldn't it, if God just came and said, well, I'm sending Jesus, I'm going to save you from your sins, and then when you die, I'm going to let you go to heaven. But then, you know, kind of from here on out, you're on your own, so good luck. Okay, He could do that, and that would still be grace, and because we, we don't deserve any more than that. We don't even deserve the salvation that He brings, but God gives even more. God doesn't just give us salvation, but He gives us blessings in this life. He, he frees us from the power of sin. He shows up. He listens to our prayers. He's present this morning as we sing and as we worship Him. Grace doesn't just give us salvation, but it also brings us God's blessing, which is grace in and of itself, because we don't deserve them. Grace also, number three, is that grace is focused on God's Word. Grace is focused on God's Word. You see this end section kind of at 30 at the end of chapter 8 um, where Joshua brings all the people together, right? And they all come together and they build an altar and then they're consecrating themselves and then Joshua reads through all the books, all of the book of the law, verse 34. Okay, that's a lot of reading. I mean, you may, if we read these two chapters, I'm sure many of your minds started to wander. That's normal, okay? That, that's okay. That happens to us. Okay, can you imagine being in Israel and say, okay, guys, I'm going to read through the entire book of Leviticus, um, and after we get through Leviticus, we're going to read through Deuteronomy. And that may be the least that they read. They probably also read Genesis and Exodus. So they just read through all of those together. It's a lot of reading. It's a lot of listening. I think I would have fallen asleep somewhere in Numbers. I think definitely by the time we got to Leviticus, I think most of us would be out, right? At least somewhere in there. This is not always riveting reading. But they do it. And why do they do it? They do this for a number of reasons. One is that we need to be centered on God's Word and grace. What, what happens after Israel receives grace and receives forgiveness and deliverance is they go back to God's Word. They get centered again. They go, okay, what is our life supposed to be like? What are we supposed to do? And there's a reason it mentions specifically they read the blessings and the curse. It's okay. Achan seemed to forget what we were supposed to do as followers of God. So now we need to remind all of us what is required as Israelites. What are we supposed to do? So let's read the whole law again so we don't forget. So we remember. So that's what Joshua has them do. And we, we read the Bible. That's part of 
at least this verse is a small part of why I, I read large sections of God's Word and I read it all at once, um, because I think we should be centered on God's Word. We have to be centered on God's Word, right? can't be centered on my words. That's a bad thing to be centered on. Um, some weeks will be better than others, but I really wouldn't build a church or build a faith around what I have to say. Let's build it around what God has to say, right? Thankful for the train. I've missed it. Um, but we go to God's Word, and we go to the Bible because the Bible also reminds us of grace. It doesn't just remind them of the curse. It doesn't just remind them as they read it of, here's all the things you shouldn't do, and here's all the things that you should do. It reminds them of how awesome God is. As they read it, they would have heard of God's promises to Abraham and how God kept them. They would have heard of God's faithfulness to Joshua, or not Joshua, um, to Joseph. Thank you, a lot of J's to Joseph, and how even when he was sold into slavery, God delivered him. They would hear of God's faithfulness and his deliverance, for even when they were slaves in Egypt, God sent plague after plague to set them free. So we read through the Bible. We don't just read. It's not just a list of things we should and shouldn't do, but it reminds us of how good and great our God is. Our fourth little subpoint is that grace leads to obedience. Grace leads to obedience. So after grace, right, after God has forgiven us, after we have repented, after Israel has consecrated themselves, what do they do? They go and they obey God. They obey. But this is an important order to get, okay? Obedience doesn't lead to grace. Grace leads to obedience. Okay, we don't obey God and we don't listen to His Word and we don't pray and we don't follow Him and we don't worship Him and we don't try and love our enemies and we don't try and be good and love God with all our hearts because if we do that enough, then He'll let us into heaven, we hope. That is not what we do. First, we fall on grace. So we, may, we can't do any of that. We need God. We need His forgiveness because if He doesn't forgive us, we are in deep trouble. But once we have received grace, then we obey. Obedience doesn't lead to grace, but grace should lead to obedience. That's why we studied the book of James, right? This is so much where faith without works is dead. Grace should lead to obedience, but obedience doesn't necessarily lead to grace. And when we sin, when we mess up, because Joshua and the people, they're going to mess up again. We are going to mess up again. Even after we leave this room and go about our days, we are going to sin and we're going to forget God. We're going to forget the gospel and we're going to sin against Him. But it doesn't mean that we lose grace, right? Our grace is always there for us. But like Paul in Romans, he says, well, since grace abounds abundantly, should we just sin all the more that we can get even more grace? No, 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 that's not the point of grace. Grace should lead us to obedience. We, we, and why should it lead to obedience? Because we love God. We obey not because we just like these rules. We obey not just because we're pragmatic and if we follow the Bible, it's going to give us some money and help us be healthy and keep us safe from COVID. But no, we obey and we follow the Bible because we love the God of the Bible. Because we love Him and because He asks us to do it. And so as a response of love, we do it. Okay, if your house is like mine, there's probably rules in your house, Right? And maybe you're the one who set up the rules, or maybe somebody else set up the rules, but there, there's things you do in your house, okay? And so a lot of the rules in my, in my house are, are set up by my wife, okay? So there are things that, these are how we need to do things. It's how we do things in the Shields family. Now, I've co-signed on these laws, but, you know, they were, they, these rules were sent down by Bree. Now, some of them are, and they're things, they're fine. It's like, yes, th these are things we should do. Thank you, Bree, for helping domesticate me. 
But if I don't do the things that Bree's asked me to do, what does that say about how I feel about my wife? What, what does it reveal if when she's asking, hey, I've asked you, you I really need you to do this. I, I would like you to do this. If I, if I don't do it, it communicates something to her. It communicates to her, well, I think the rule's dumb, and I don't really want to listen to what you have to say. That's not a good thing. Okay, but if I do what she's asked me to do, and why would I do it? Would I do it just because I think, well, this is the best way to do things around our house? No, I, I do it because I love my wife. I do it because I want her to know that I love her. And I do it because she's valuable to me. Right? That's a small example. That's how it should be with God. We obey the rules and the things that He has asked us to do, not just because we think, well, that's a pretty good law, guy. I can agree with that one. I'll follow that one. But because we love Him. Because we love Him, we do the things that He's asked us to do. We don't do them just because they sound good or because He told us to, but we do them out of love. And His grace should lead us to love and should lead us to obedience. Number three, our application is that we should chase grace together. And that we should really chase grace together. That as a community, as a church family, that we should chase the gospel and we should chase holiness and we should chase obedience and God's grace together, not just on our own, not just as a bunch of Lone Ranger Christians doing our own thing, and maybe we'll come together on Sunday and give each other a high five, then we'll go back and we'll ignore each other. But this is something that we should do together. And a lot of this chapter, there's so much in these chapters, I just don't have time to to go into all of it. Um, One of the main things in this chapter is how seriously God takes communal sin, and how seriously that, that communities, especially communities of faith, And so what should we do as a community, right? You can think of the book of Acts um, and the way that God takes sin seriously there with Ananias and Sapphira who think that they can just lie to God and then he strikes them dead in church. I'm thankful God doesn't do a lot of that. Um, I'd be less excited to come to church if I knew there was a chance I could be struck dead. Um, So I guess maybe there is. I'm thankful God doesn't do that very much that I know of. Um, but what that means and what this is is that we as believers should take repentance seriously and we should take our sin seriously and we should do this communally. This isn't just something that we should do by ourselves, but that we should also come together and do it together. And so a small way we're going to do it um, this morning, and we've, did the, we've done this once before, um, but we are just going to confess our sins together. Um, is that okay to do this this morning? Good? Okay, I've got some head nods. We're going to do it anyway. Um, but, and why would we do this? And we would do this because I want to chase Jesus with you. Okay, I, I want to chase grace with you, and, and I think it's important for us to not just confess our sins off by ourselves. We need to do that. We must do that. You should do that. But we also, it should not be foreign for us to do that together. Because if we're doing it all the time at home, we're doing it all the time on our own, we should also be willing to do it together. And so that's just what, what we're going to do this morning. I, I have, um, it's it short, the words um, that are going to be up on the screen. And I just ask you to, to read along with me aloud. But I ask you, don't just read the words. Pray them with me. Mean them. Uh, let them stir your heart to think of the things that, that you too need to confess on your own before God. And after we do this, um, I, I'll, I'll pray for us as well. So read with me. Heavenly Father... 
We confess that we have tried to hide our sin from You. We confess that we are more concerned with being caught by man than than You. We confess that we listen to the lies of sin instead of the truth of Your Word. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for ignoring the many chances You give us to repent. Forgive us for loving our sin more than we love to obey You. You are our only hope for salvation. We ask for forgiveness. Not because we deserve it, but because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. It is in His name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being willing to do that with me. And and here's the good news. As a believer in Jesus, you're forgiven of your sin. That Jesus forgives us. That's the song we sang before I began to preach, is that Jesus paid it all. That means all of our sin. The sins you did before, the sins you're going to do in 10 minutes, the sins you're going to do later tonight, Jesus has already forgiven all of it. Our individual sin, our communal sin, as long as we repent, as long as we come and we ask God for forgiveness, His forgiveness and His grace is there for us. So hear that. Be assured of His grace. I'm going to pray for us and invite Micah to come back up and lead us in one more song. Lord, I thank You that You are a God of forgiveness. Lord, I thank You that even though our our sin is is much worse than we realize, that Your grace is greater and bigger than we could ever imagine. Lord, that we can't even comprehend the depths of Your love for us. Lord, we ask that You would help us. Lord, we ask that You would help us realize how good Your grace is. Lord, would You give us a bigger imagination. Lord, would You open up our hearts. Would You help us to love You more? Would You help us to take our sin seriously? Not because we're scared of sin, but because we love You. But remind us, Lord, that we do all of these things, not because we're trying to follow rules or make a checklist, but out of love for You and in response to Your wondrous grace. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen.